Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Rob, welcome back to the table. It is springtime here at Lee University. It is. Birds are chirping. Flowers are starting to grow and the snow went away. It Ground is, is muddy. All the things. All, all the great <laughs> all the great things of campus. Yeah. Yeah. Mold growing everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You know Just get is. your umbrella because it's <laughs> it's spring in Tennessee. Which is a great segue to our guest today who is just around the bend in Tennessee. <laughs> okay, I was wondering what the segue was going yeah, to be. I was Tennessee. Like, how is mold a great segue not to a great our segue. guest? <laughs> that was a terrible segue. But Tennessee is we have with us Luke Lefever, right? Lefever. The fever. Yeah. The fever. Okay, let me get it right. He's a visionary and director of a young adults conference called Consecrate um, that calls this generation to radical holiness, audacious faith, and renewed commitment to the Great Commission. And he's a Nashville guy, Nashville guy. which leads into my first question. Always. My first question. Is it Hattie B's or Party Fowl better at Nashville Hot Chicken? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a deep, deep question to kick us off. Um, you know what? I... So I'm gonna say neither. Uh-oh. I'm gonna throw out. I'm gonna throw out a, a a third option. Oh my! There's this there's this place called Prince's Hot Chicken. Yes, which which is like the OG first hot chicken place in Nashville. Like everything kind of sprouted out of that one. This like hole in the wall in like Nolansville, which is like a little bit south of yeah. of Nashville. Um, and Prince's is kind of like if you're local, it's like that's that's the spot. So, so they actually put, there's this really new, cool new development in Nashville called the assembly food hall, which is like right near Broadway downtown. Yeah, yeah. And they, okay. put, they put a small version of Prince's in there, oh. ironically, right above Hattie B's, which is so funny, but I'm going to, I'd say Prince's actually. We're, we're going there. So, so everybody's going to excuse me because I am saved, but I do have my tickets for need to breathe and one Republic in July. Well, isn't need to? Yeah, yeah, they are. Okay, and, all right. And Ryan okay. Tedder grew up like 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 Pentecostal, like his yeah. Sonic Flood or something like that. Yeah. So, anyways, but but I'm gonna have to hit the assembly hall, the assembly, and go to get some princes because we hey, love some hot chicken. We so. do indeed love some hot chicken. Oh, yeah. So we love some hot chicken. But let's get to the to the more meaty subject. See that segue? Meaty. <laughs> that was well done, wasn't it? That's one of the worst puns you've ever used on the show. <laughs> Thanks. You started the Consecrate Conference. Tell us a little bit about that, why it got started, what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. So really the inception for that is my wife and I had been doing college ministry for the past several years in Nashville. Um, and actually since before we were married, um, we were on the same team together for a long time. And uh, during 2020, everything shut down as for it did for so many people. And really during 2020, um, there was just this season where, you know, so many things that we were doing were shut down. We had to cancel so many of our events. And I just took time to fast and pray and just ask the Lord, what, what are you asking me to do? Which I've really tried to have be um, a question that I ask the Lord regularly, because I always want to be in this place of God, whatever you're asking me to do is going to be um you're going to bless it. It's going to be, you're going to multiply it. So just always asking that, what are you asking me to do? And I felt like I got a really clear word from the Lord where I felt like I heard him say, Luke, I want you to start calling the young people of America to consecration. And the meaning of that word essentially 
having the simplest definition that I have for that is being set apart from the world. Mm -hmm. This radical call to holiness of saying we are going to walk biblically and counterculturally, and we're going to really pursue holiness as Hebrews commands us to, and then being set apart for the mission of Jesus. And so really just had that stirring in my heart. And so I sat on it, honestly, for a while. And so I was just like, okay, what well, I feel like I've got this thing that I'm supposed to do. Uh, I'm not really sure where to start. And during that summer of 2020, um, I felt like he told me to reach out to, there's um, a lady named Jenny Allen who leads this, this conference mm-hmm. called if gathering. Mm-hmm. And it's probably like the largest women's conference in the world, like 75,000 yeah. women attend this conference every year. And so I felt like he said, I just wanted you to call Jenny, tell her about it and just ask if she would pray, like, would, would you pray with me about it? And so, um, I call her, I'm just like, Hey, I just feel like the Lord put this on my heart. I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you about it. And that's it. And so she's like, I will pray. And so I, I sat on it and my wife and I had just gotten engaged at that point. And so we were heading towards our wedding and I felt like the Lord was like, Hey, don't touch this right now. Cause of a very one track mind. And he's like, if you, if you jump in on this, like, you're not going to focus on what you need to at the moment. And so we get through that season of engagement, my wife and I get married and we get back from our honeymoon and we take a day to pray and we're praying and, um, and we're just praying, Lord, what are you asking us to do for this first year? Like, what are you asking, like speak to us about what this first year needs to look like. And felt like the Lord spoke to us and said, this consecrate word, um, I, I'm calling you to, I want you to go for it. Like it's time. And we get up from that time of prayer. I haven't talked to Jenny in probably three or four months at this point. I go look at my phone. I have a text from Jenny and she said, Hey, I've been thinking about you today, my friend. And I feel like this consecrate thing is from God and you're supposed to go Mm. for this. And so really what that has morphed into. So we launched our first gathering in Dallas this past October. Our next one's actually going to be in Nashville this year, which we're super excited about. Um, And so really what that looks like is our goal is over the next um, 10 years, we want to mobilize a hundred thousand students over the next 10 years, um, which we may get into that a little bit more of like, we have this whole thing on like the 3.5% rule of, uh, which we might talk about a little bit later, but mobilizing a generation to believe for another Jesus movement in America, I believe that's going to be increasingly tied to holiness and, um, and mobilizing a generation to take action on what God's called them to do. So that's a little bit about kind of inception point of that and, and where that came from. Yeah. So I think, you know, I love sort of prophetic confirmations because I think what you're saying is echoing not only for you, but I think it's echoing across so many different conversations that we've had on the show, but also that I've had on campus and I've also had in my own heart and my own. So um, about the same time, about two years ago, I started something here uh, on campus and sort of praying through the sort of the exact same process. But it's echoing so many of the same tenets that you're talking about. And it's this conversation of awakening. Some might call it revival for for a a lesser understanding or whatever. But really, I I believe that America is in a position where this generation, your generation, Gen Z, is going to be the next great awakening or we will go the way of Europe. Does does that make sense? Like, I think I think we're at that pivotal 
of a spiritual crisis in our culture. And I, what I feel like, what I see, and again, I'm not saying this is going to happen. What I'm saying, what I feel like and what I'm seeing is, is that Gen Z is fighting for the awakening. Like, yeah. like yeah. they're fighting for it. They're hungry for it. They're, they may not even know how to articulate what they're hungry for, but they're hungry for it. And so it, it's really cool to kind of hear from your perspective some of those same sort of tenets, some of those same conversations that that I've had with other students, I've had with other leaders, and that God has had with God has had with me. So, mm-hmm. so I'm right there with you, man. I I, I love what you're doing. And I think Rob, you're onto something. When we've talked to students, and I'm I'm sure Luke, you can speak to this as well. Um, and it's not a knock on any particular style of church, right? But the the sort of seeker sensitive attractional models we created, Gen Z seems to not be engaged in. Are you are you finding that true as well, Luke? Yeah, I mean, there there's just like this radical undercurrent in Gen Z. Like they don't want. Um, they don't want wishy-washy like and, yeah, and right. when i think i think for so long we've been afraid to call a generation to repentance especially like the millennial generation it was like don't call them to repentance because you might offend them and they're never going to come back gen z is like give it to me like wow. i want i want to know like i want to hear like that because and something that i've said a lot recently is gen z responds to this radical call to repentance mm-hmm. even in, in evangelism like in some of the craziest places, I mean, uh, my friend and I, I mean, there's crazy long story, which we won't have time to talk about on here, but like saw hundreds of students get saved in the middle of like the craziest frat party you've ever seen. And it was this radical call to repentance and it resonates with their heart. But I think the key is it's just, that's just the gospel. Like there, the gospel is a call to leave all and follow Jesus. Yeah. And I think, um, there is that in Gen Z, but at the same time, that's just how it's always been. It's always been the gospel of this radical call to give everything for the cause of Christ, to lay our life on the altar as a living sacrifice, as Paul talks about, you know? And so, um, but in Gen Z specifically, there does seem to be this, um, they don't want lukewarm. Like they're like, we're in or we're all the way out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so- yeah. And again, I know Jeff is not knocking the attractional model. There's obviously still great value in, in that approach, right? right? I mean, otherwise, you know, probably less people would be trying it or still trying to do it. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So yeah. it's not yeah. about a particular a bend in, in a direction or another, but I think it is a clear indicator that as leaders, especially leaders our mm-hmm. age, Typically, most people our age are in senior level positions in some capacity. It is a clear call for for leaders of our age and older and even younger that that Gen Z is viewing their faith in a much more. Um, much more uh, simplified lens. Like let's don't overcomplicate the message and the story right. and, and the, and the direction that, that they're trying to go. Right. So, yeah. so I think, I think this is just a great moment of, of clarity for us. We don't have to, we don't have to create entertainment for Gen Z. What we got to do is right. create yeah. pathways for Gen Z to, to meet and know Jesus more fully. And yeah. so I think that should take a lot of pressure off leaders you know, the performance factor, like, is they really don't care how good you preach. If you're preaching, you know, authentic, authentic, authentically off. Yeah. There it is. Authentically. Authentically. There it is. Too much coffee. Authentically. 
with with conviction and yeah. commitment to what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, cuz I think you know, I think there has been I still think there's a great value for excellence where I, yeah. where it's like Gen Z does does value excellence where it's um you know, excellent worship, excellent, you know, being excellent in our teaching, things like that, um, being excellent from a standpoint of, because Gen Z is also very entrepreneurial where they're like, there's, there's an excellence that they appreciate, but at the same time, um, it's like where it feels like the excellence almost became an idol a little bit church wise. Um, they're like, we want it excellent, but we want, we basically just want hard truth served on a platter of excellence is like, yeah. if we can have it both. And so I think there's that shift from excellence being that's we're, we're basically just building a company here of like, Hey, how do we make this product, you know, palatable to the consumer? Um, it's still a level of excellence and offering our best to the Lord. But at the same time, it's like they, they just want it straight. Right. No, I, I think Luke, we're finding that out on campus, yeah. we're finding out in the churches, the church I lead that they're, they're not afraid of it. Like, um, well, you're right where I think like 10, like maybe 10 years ago, some sermons that would have closed the church down are creating revival. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, you, yeah. you know, like you preached that hard 10 years ago and everybody's like, we're out. No, thanks. Yeah. And now it's just like, they lean into that. Um, yeah. and I think something comes out of this, this, what I think John Tyson called a post-truth culture. Like, yeah. so when there is truth, when we're speaking the truth, they really lean in, um, so I think that's some of what we're seeing here. Now, I would really like to know, you mentioned it already in the show, but this 3.5% rule, you're really, so again, we'll, we'll notate in 10 years, you want to raise 100,000 students, call to repentance, to consecrate, to mobilize. What's the 3.5 rule that, and where does it come from? Yeah. So for me, one of the things uh, a while back that I, I was really feeling like we had to get in places. I feel like a lot of the church, there's a good portion of the church that this conversation about awakening is coming up a lot. Yeah, right. Like we, we believe that awakening is possible, that there's tremors of it, that there's, we're seeing evidence of maybe the beginnings of something pretty incredible that God could be doing in this generation. And almost just like, it feels like there's this gift of faith that God's implanted mm-hmm. in a lot of people for it. Of like, we just, it's just in my soul. Like it's like, it's coming. And I started to get gripped by this um, conviction of, well, we have, how can we determine when it's here? Like, how do we, how do we actually know? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we know once we've hit that point? Cause I think, um, one of the things for me just as a leader is, yeah, it's great for us to pray for revival and pray for awakening, but what are we actually aiming for to know when, if, you know, when I die, how do I know if we were at least semi-successful in seeing it, you know, cause that can be awakening and revival can be a very vague and loose term. Yeah. Right. And so I started doing research. I'm like, how, okay, what, what are some metrics for us that I don't think the, the metric itself will be the, re, the indicator of revival, but it's a good thing for us to aim for. Right. And so there was a, a study that that came out um, through actually I think the BBC was the one that originally reported on it, but um, it was through I forget which college professor it was, but they did a study on all of the nonviolent revolutions over the past I want to say hundred years across the world, and they found this theme of the fact that 
um, any of those nonviolent revolutions, the ones that were successful, if they were able to mobilize 3.5% of a population towards the end goal, not necessarily even like fully equip them, like if they could just get them involved in one of their rallies, in one of their marches, involved in some mass gathering that they did, 3.5% of a, a population, the success of that nonviolent revolution became inevitable. Hmm. So if they could hit that point, that was the tipping point. If it hit 3.5% of mobilization, it would sweep culture. Um, and so for us, you know, in Gen Z, somewhere around 67 million um, Gen Zers in the United States, that number is somewhere around 2.1 million. That's a 3.5%. Um, and so, you know, what I'm looking at is I'm going, if I feel like part of what my life calling is, is to be a part of seeing awakening in America over the next 50 years of my life, I'm going to go for the 2.1 million to mobilize them. Like that's what we're going for with consecrate. And so for us, for the next 10 years, like our first step is that that hundred thousand, because if we're believing for a Jesus revolution, um, what would it look like to mobilize the 3.5% until that's something that overtakes a generation? Like, I don't know if you can see behind me, my wife for Christmas a couple of years ago, she got me one of the original copies of time magazine. I think it's the 1973 edition where they put Jesus on the front because it was the last kind of like awakening type of thing that we've seen mm -hmm. with the Jesus revolution in America. And I'm like, I want one of those. And I'm going to put it on my wall. Um, but that's what we're believing for again. Like, and, and I think there's, there needs to be some metrics of, okay, how do we know if we're getting close or if we've seen it? So yeah, that's kind yeah. of what that 3.5% rules is, is surrounding. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite fascinating. And I love the, uh, the tie in with the non, non uh, violent revolutions. And I think that's a critical piece to this whole conversation because again, Gen Z is, uh, so cause oriented, you know, justice centered. And we talk about that a lot on the show. We talk a lot about sort of this uh, underground awakening that's happening on the show, because mm -hmm. like I said, I'm seeing it all over campus, different groups, yeah. different cultures, collaborating together, together, different clubs meeting together that typically wouldn't like, like you see the ripple effect of it, right? I mean, you see it happening, pouring out um, across our campus and across other campuses as I talk to other campus pastors, other leaders um, from other universities, they're kind of seeing some of the same ripple effects in, in different ways. And so, so that three and a half percent, that actually has, is a very helpful metric to understand. And so with that, if that is your, if that is your target, like in terms of mobilization, that is your target, then, then how, how are you planning to, besides the event itself, the consecrate event, like what is the, what is the underneath strategy that is the sticky piece of it? Like, like how are you envisioning uh, what's happening under underground or behind the scenes with consecrate? Yep, definitely. So essentially with the way that we're set up right now, one of the things that we are wanting to do as we move forward is we really want to get, um, on campus pockets essentially set up on campuses across, you know, starting in the middle Tennessee area, moving out mm -hmm. where we have practical discipleship happening on campuses. As of right now, where the way that consecrate is structured, we aren't set up to do mass discipleship of the amount of students that we're currently rallying. So the way that we're working at the moment is a couple of things. So one partnership with the local church, which is a huge thing for us. Cause I think this is going to, if it's not in partnership with the local church, these things are just going to die out. Like it's going to yeah. be an event. It's not going right. to, maybe everybody's excited for a minute, but there's going to be no lasting result. There's going to be 
nothing, nothing lasting. So very close partnership with the local church um, where really the way that we see consecrate is this is an event to serve the local church. Like we want to be something that helps ignite those who are involved in the local church as well as save the lost. Um, But igniting those in the local church to where it's just kind of this refreshing thing that we provide for the local church. Cause with consecrate, it's a completely free event. Nobody has to pay for tickets we don't raise money from local churches. Like we raise all the funding to just basically offer this like to the local church to be like, Hey, this is something we want to offer to help reinvigorate and inspire and, and, and mobilize this generation. So partnership with the local church. And then secondly, partnerships with key organizations. Um, so like, for example, one of the organizations we're partnering with is, um, called generation distinct. Um, and, uh, which Hannah Granowski, I don't know if you guys have had her. Yeah, she's a friend of ours. Yeah, yeah she's okay. been on the show, yeah. Yes. So Hannah and her and her uh, husband, Aaron, um, so they lead Gen D. So one of the things that they do is they do like these nine-month-long cohorts that help mm-hmm. um, young people discover what it is that God's called them to do. And so specifically like at Consecrate, we're specifically plugging students in with a cohort specifically for Consecrate with those students to get them into that type of discipleship process. Um, so things, whether it's, you feel called to missions, we have partners that we, we partner with on that front to get you involved. You have, you feel called to the business realm or not sure, get in on Gen, Gen D cohort. You feel called to ministry, all different ways that you can get plugged in that has the discipleship piece to where consecrate acts as this big funnel, essentially that funnels people down into those smaller areas of discipleship. Yeah, that's yeah, great. That's no, right. we love Hannah and Aaron. Yeah. We've not talked to Aaron, but we love Hannah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we celebrate well, we them. We've talked to Aaron sort of peripherally. Like yeah. He's, yeah, we yeah, know. We know Aaron. So. He's been on the, sh- like, in the background <laughs> yeah. of the yeah. show. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. Two of my favorite people. Yeah, no, we, we love what they're doing um, with Generation Distinct. We love that whole concept. I love this. We've talked about it so often that, that you guys younger generation not you guys it sounds terrible but the younger generation does collaboration so well like so much better than we do yeah like sure. like yeah. these two things could have been completely pitted against one another oh for sure and instead of of that you're going hey we've got this piece of the puzzle you've got this piece of the puzzle let's connect them because we're doing going to do a better kingdom work connected and I think that's to be celebrated. And I think like for, sure. for the leaders that are listening that are of a certain age, like Rob and I, we, <laughs> we say our age often on here, we have to become collaborators instead of competitors. Yeah. We have to change the language. We have to change our thinking. We have to like begin to partner with people because it just works better in the kingdom of God. Well, I think it yeah. kind of also goes back to, to a recent show we did with, with Wayne Francis. Yeah, yeah. Right, where we talked about unity. Unity is so much bigger than just like racial unity or ethnic unity yeah. or whatever. Like unity is yeah. is all of these pieces. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a kingdom perspective, right? right? It's understanding that God has given me the capability, the talent, the skills, the resources to execute this certain function in his kingdom. I am yeah. the toe, right? Yeah. Right. We need we need the ankle for the toe to attach to, right? And so it's, I think that's, that's the critical piece of this is, is the collaboration with Gen Z is so much higher and where they don't see it, they're actually more skeptical. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Is that, do you feel like that's true? It's like when they see more territorial sort of ministry realities, they're actually more skeptical, right? Yes. Yeah. I, yes, I totally agree. And I was talking with a leader about this the the other day and they were like, why, like, why do you think 
Gen Z is so like, why is it like, where did Mm. this come from? And I think it's two, two pieces. I think one, honestly, I feel like it's just a sovereign work of God. Like, I feel like there's something the Lord's doing, but the second piece, it's almost the result of a bad thing that turned into a good thing is, um, Gen Z is like really theologically illiterate. Yeah. So because of that, they don't even know what a denomination is. Right. Or if you yeah. told them what denomination you were a part of, they would have no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. And so I think where there was so much siloing between denominations before, Gen Z just has no clue. And so they're like, oh, I don't know what the difference is between this or that or whatever. You believe in Jesus? Like, do you believe like he's the only way to the father? Okay, cool. Like, let's partner. And so I think there's become like this breaking down of walls, honestly, because of some theological literacy, but which has resulted in this really amazing collaboration of, you know, I, I think it was Augustine who who was saying, um, well, in the essentials, unity, um, in yes. non-essentials, grace, unity. and all liberty and all things grace. Right. Yeah. And so uh, they've embraced that, um, which I think has been a really interesting um, result of that. So it brings up an interesting tension because, because we've talked about this with others. Gen Z has lots of enthusiasm and zeal, especially when they come to the Lord, little framework for it because they are biblically illiterate in so many ways, not, not a knock on them, but just kids who didn't grow up in Sunday school or Awanas or whatever the programming would have been to help them have that framework. How is, how is maybe consecrate? We know what Hannah does with sort of, that's a discipleship platform, but, but what are you seeing is the, the road or the pathway to get them to being in love with scripture because scripture is a critical component to this whole faith thing. Yep. Definitely. You know, that's a great question. I think getting them specifically to love scripture. One of the things that's interesting that we're seeing that Gen Z really loves is getting back to gatherings that are like the public reading of scripture, which Mm. is really interesting. Like where nobody's preaching, but it's literally, we're getting together to read the word of God out loud, like almost pretending we're going to get together. Like we, for a long time, we did these small group things that we just called word groups where people would get together in houses and they would just, they'd get together, they would pray, they would worship, and they would read through the Bible out loud as if, Hey, Paul just wrote us this letter we're going to read it. Um, and so there was, it, it was really powerful, like these times of just reading the word. And actually we launched it because Francis Chan came to Nashville and was like, he was there and he, instead of preaching, he was like, you know, the book of revelation says, whoever reads this book aloud will be blessed. And I've been praying on how do I bless the people that are listening? So I'm just going to read the book of revelation. And that's what he preached. And it was one of those powerful, um, like most powerful, just, uh, like messages, like rooms of just, it was just the presence of God and just weighty. And he just literally read the Bible and we're like, well, we're going to do that. And so now the other side of that is it's not just as easy as reading the Bible and being able to get it in its cultural context in yeah. you know, all of the, the deep things that go into that. And so I think if you can get, um, Gen Z just to to read the Bible like in groups like that, they will fall in love with it in, in mm. kind of some of those unique ways. And I've Spurgeon once said he's like the best way to get people to believe that the Bible is the word of God is to get them to read the Bible. Yeah. And so like if you can just get them in it. Um but with that, I think 
like there a ministry that I see that's doing this really, really well that has stayed relevant for a long time is Messenger International, which is John Elisa yeah, Bevere's ministry. Yeah, we're friends of the Bevere. I have been so impressed with the way that they have remained relevant. Um, I think their sons probably have done a big, uh, a great yeah. job in helping with that. But I mean, even to where the covers of their books, they redesign regularly to make them more relevant to Gen Z. But one thing that they've done is they've essentially created like the Netflix of discipleship resources mm-hmm. with this thing called Messenger X that they have yeah. to where it's like you hop on and it's all these different, basically like if you're familiar with Masterclass, like where they, you can get on, you can see the CEO of Disney or the CEO of Starbucks do a course. They have courses like that. It's like this Netflix of discipleship. And I think that's going to be a big key is that type of thing and innovating in that way. Yeah. Well, obviously we're huge fans of the, we've had the four out of six on, we've had four out of the six on the show. So we're obviously huge fans. And I agree not, not that we're promoting any, any particular set of materials, but, but you're right. They've done a fantastic job of creating those, sort of those digital discipleship platforms, which are easily accessible, um, you know, very understandable, uh, but at the same time, very deep theologically, you know, truth centric, all Mm -hmm. of the things, right? So it's a great resource. Um, So on that note, though, I think, I think there's a tension, especially, especially in, you know, local church leadership and current sort of church realities, especially post COVID, like we don't quite know yet what to do with this digital platform. Like, do we trust it? I know I, I hear it all the time. Like, you know, technology is a great resource, but it's not the church, right? I mean, there's, there's that broader narrative out there and that's, you know, obviously I'm not trying to debate that statement, but what I'm saying is, is there's this, psychological, spiritual, emotional uh, sort of tension that exists between digital discipleship and in real life discipleship. And I, and I think obviously both have value and power, right? So, but as we trend forward with Gen Z, where do you kind of see them land? Like what is, what is, what is your perspective as a Gen Z or like, where do you see them land in this world of, digital versus real life do they see a difference you know talk me through it yeah i mean i don't think i don't think digital is ever gonna take over um to where we're no longer like life on life real life is ever gonna disappear um i don't even even i don't even think it's gonna majority disappear like i i think life on life is going to be the meat um i just i just think that's the way it's gonna stay and but the digital being a really awesome supplement that if you don't have it, um, it's going to hurt you pretty badly. Um, but I mean, Gen Z, it's like, they, I think the other thing too, is like when it comes to discipleship, like they're not looking for cool people to disciple them. Like they really, they want someone who life on life, like will believe in them Mm -hmm. and, um, and pour into them and like do, do life with them, whether it's like a businessman, like letting them come in and see how to run a godly business or whether that's like, they feel called the ministry or or whatever that looks like. I think that life on life is huge. And they're so hungry for that. Mm. Um, I think also just how many of them come from broken homes and are, you know, steeped in, in, brokenness because of the internet it's like when they get that real life on life it's so refreshing for them and refreshing for their soul so i don't think that the digital is ever going to overtake um life on life um but i do think it's a really fantastic 
supplement where like, for example, the guys, like multiple of the guys that I disciple, like I'll post videos on social media and they'll be like, Oh my God, they'll text me. They'll be like, man, that was so helpful. Like, thank you for sharing that. That was great. But, but people can't just sit down and ask me questions. Like this is going on in my life. What would you do in this exact scenario? Like I need help here. Like you can't do that with everybody online. They can't watch a class and do that. They can't ask specific questions. And so, um, yeah, I think Gen Z is hungry for both. I think I almost see digital as like the funnel to get people into the life on life. Mm -hmm. Um, like that's the big net, like they catch onto the digital, they get interested, they see, okay, this church is like relevant in at least a little bit. And then that's when the life on life can happen. If that makes sense. No, I think that I think you're on to something, Luke. I think that what we're going to see is that, especially generation, they're going to hold us to things in tension really well, where we don't, where where our generation may see it as or, they're seeing it as and. Like, yeah. So we're going to gather and watch a digital service in this small group. Like this yeah. is this is like what's taking place is like um, a friend we mentioned before we got in the show in Nashville has house churches, which content yeah. digitally delivered in small groups in homes. So yeah. like there's this world where they're going to go like, why does it have to be or why can't it be and why can't we gather together and have digital content, but in real life discipleship? And I think that might be where we see this digital discipleship thing taking place where where I think two or three years ago, we thought it was going to be all digital. We felt yeah, like the yeah, whole yeah. world was going to go flooding that way. And then we all got stuck at home for a while. And we're like, we need people. Like, yeah. I, I got to see somebody, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and I can't – and we come from a Pentecostal background. I don't think you can replicate the presence in a room through a digital stream. Like, not saying God can't move in your house. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's something about the presence of God with other believers in that space that can't always be replicated or felt through the the screen. Um, so I think we're going to see it as this and piece, not not an or. Yeah. 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 I was, some, I was just going to jump in on that just to just to tag what you were saying, Jeff. I think talking about replicating the presence of God in a setting like that, you know, the word speaking about how you all, you know, plural, when he says you are the temple of the Holy spirit, you all are. It's like when we come together as living stones, as the Bible says, we become like the temple of, of the Holy spirit. And I think there is the digital aspect doesn't quite hit that. Like, have I sensed the presence of God when somebody has been teaching? Like, absolutely. But there's something different. And even part of what we're doing with consecrate why i so believe in the importance of mass gatherings where there's a large amount of people together and like there's a reason god required the feasts right where hundreds of thousands of people would gather together around the presence of god to come together as the people of god because there's something that happens and it just ignites your faith and and the just your fervency for the mission in a different kind of way like there's there's a reason like it doesn't necessarily need to happen every day of the week um or you know even on the scale that we want to do it every month but there's something that needs to take place where the church is gathering together in person on mass scale so i totally agree with you yeah yeah i want to jump into a uh were you going to say something no 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 no. go follow your question but i want to follow up a question because you said this a couple times so i'm not i'm not like 
like questioning you, but I just want to understand a little bit more clarity because the the term relevant to me is almost like a, a cuss word in my language. And so here's, here, here's, here's my theory on it, right? If you're trying to be relevant, you're already one step behind and that's coming from a guy my age. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wear Jordans because I like Jordans. I'm not yeah. trying to be cool. Like that's just, that's just what yeah. I like to wear. Like I'm a SoCal guy. Yeah. Right. So that's just, that's just me. But, but I think, you know, when we say relevant, try to be relevant, I think our initial thoughts are, are some kind of aesthetic or some kind of artistic expression of our product, our logo, our platform, our brand or whatever. I don't really feel like that's what you're saying, but coming from a Gen Z perspective, yeah. What do you mean by relevant? And I, and I think, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know exactly yeah. what you mean, but I want to hear you say it. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think when I say relevant, that it, what they're saying has relevance to my life, which something that mm-hmm. I, I say all the time is the gospel is always relevant because it's the only thing that yeah. changes people's lives. So like that, that, like that radical call to repentance, I think we as the church have been so like you're saying, I think we've been so focused on trying to be relevant that in a lot of ways we've lost the message. And it's like, it's the message that's relevant because it's the truth of God's word. Like that will always be relevant. And I think, so I'm talking about relevance. It's, it's that, do, you know, even do I sense the presence of God on this? Like, cause that's ultimately relevant to a person's life where like, I, I am sensing the drawing of the Holy spirit on what's taking place here. I'm sensing the presence of God. I'm sensing like life transformation and change happening, happening here. Um, so I would say that I do think there is a piece with relevance of, um, where, and I, I agree with you. If you're trying to be relevant, I think you're one step behind where it's like, don't tell my mom I said this, but today my sister sent me a picture of my mom, like tried to post on Facebook and she was like, <laughs> she literally tried to say hashtag something and she spelled out hashtag. And I was like, Oh, no man. way, man. Come I on. Have, I have Come failed on. as a, as a Gen Z or <laughs> of a child's mom. But like, if you're trying to be relevant, like you're, you're one step behind, but I think there is, I was talking about this with someone the other day. If you go into any culture, you send any missionary into any culture, you study that culture of what, um, what images they use, what, right. um, what type of culture that they live in with. It's a, is it an agrarian agricultural, you know, type of culture where they understand, you know, growing, you know, plants and, um, and so you can use those type of metaphors to convey the truth of God's word, whatever that looks like. And I think we have not realized in a lot of ways, Gen Z is like a completely new culture. Like I'm 25 and there's stuff happening on TikTok that I'm like, I don't even get it. Like, I don't even know what yeah. this is. And I'm mm-hmm. 25 years old. And so I think there's a necessity for a continual re-education that we need to right. constantly be yeah. having um, to immerse ourselves in that culture. Because if I were to just go to like some random tribe, like an unreached people group and start trying to talk about Jesus using like my American 21st century lingo and colloquialisms, they'd be like, what the heck are you talking about? And so I think when I say relevant as well, there's an aspect of studying the culture of Gen Z so that you can communicate the truth of God's word, which never changes, yeah. but the way you communicate it, um, being in a relevant way. And I, th- you know, Jeff and I've talked about this a hundred thousand times on the show, but is one of the big truths that we have found in doing this podcast is that we can never be those things unless we are reverse mentored. 
Like we have to be, we have to be open to, to allowing Gen Z to educate us in the areas and in the ways that we don't understand. Like, like, okay, fine. It's TikTok. It's stupid videos. I laugh at a ton of them. My wife says, why are you watching stupid videos and sending them to me? Right. So, so I, I get it. Like, but it's, it's deeper than that for Gen Z. It's deeper than that. And I think it's, it's allowing yourself to hear why this platform or a platform similar to it or some other aspect of culture or society is so important to them. And it's that reverse mentoring piece that as leaders, we have got to be open to, right? We've, we've yes. got to be able to say, Hey, I don't get it. Teach me. And I still may not get it, but at least I'm conversing about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so I think there's a well, great humility. Piece yeah. It's that. being aware of it. I think, yeah, being like, aware, yeah. I think, yeah, like, again, I think we referenced this last show, but James Emery White was on the show. He said to us, uh, he's like, there does, I don't want there to be a trend or something that catches me off guard. Like, I want to know about it in advance. Um, so it's not it's not that we are engaging with it and like creating TikTok videos because you don't want to see that. Yeah, but you probably don't want to see my TikTok. <laughs> yeah, my dancing is not good. <laughs> but but being aware of it and it's that same idea like of language and, and understanding. Like we don't necessarily have to to live in that sort of world, but we have to at least be aware of that world because if we're trying to reach somebody who speaks that language, we have to be able to speak that language. Like that's the critical component of of at least having understanding like and as a dad of teens like they say things all the time and I'm like I have no idea what that means yeah. and they'll go it's yeah. a TikTok trend and I was like okay yeah. so you won't say it next week because yeah, it'll be yeah. over it'll be over it'll next be over week, week but, right but so at least yeah. at least being and I think you're onto something great there Rob at least being in the conversation and going okay so what is that and that's a great leader thing like for the leaders that are listening get some young adults get some late teens around you and just listen to them talk and then go what was that what did you say why are you doing that take them to lunch and just listen yeah. with you'll, no strings attached with no strings attached and you'll pick up on a lot of things that you'll have questions about <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> right i think that reverse mentoring is huge like it and asking them like hey like show me like i want yeah. to know like there's yeah. there's students that we disciple that like i'm asking those questions like listen like how does this work? Like what's like, what's going on with all this. And something that's really interesting in that whole piece, like if you're talking about awakening is something as I've studied more and more of them that I think is really fascinating is so many of them were using quote unquote technologies that were new for the time mm-hmm. and were controversial. But for us, like we look back on it like, Oh, that's the way it's always been done. It's like, not at that time. Like, I mean, you want to talk about, John Wesley, Charles Whitfield, right. I mean, these guys, like they're preaching out in the fields. Like you weren't allowed to do that. Like you're like the, the church of England was like, you can't go preach outside of a church. They go start yeah. preaching in the fields. 30,000 people show up. That was new technology, like a new, completely new way of reaching people. I mean, you talk about, you know, Charles Finney, whether this kind of resulted in good or bad things, but I mean, like second great awakening timeframe. I mean, he's ripping off like Barnum and Bailey's circus like promotional methods to get people to come to their revival meetings where they're getting radically saved Mm -hmm. and so um and i think the we were having a conversation about this the other day there's this great document um that has been like popping up on the internet but it's basically um the older generation when people started switching from slate writing on slate to paper and they were like, this is terrible. Like an entire generation's never going to know how t- 
to write on slate. Like who's ever going to write on paper? It's like, this is not a new thing. This happens over and over as technology, whether it's slate to paper or, uh, you know, rotary phones to smartphones, it's, it's always happening. But a lot of times when you see a move of God, like these guys were taking advantage of new ways of doing stuff, new ways of trying things where we look at it back and like, Oh man, the old days of, you know, Whitfield setting up a tent and having a revival meeting. And it's like, that was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. So it's interesting because we get stuck on things like the, the paper track, you know, that was revolutionary in like the, 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 at the time because people didn't have books. So you yeah, give them yeah, a little yeah. book that's like, I've got a little book. What does it say? But we're like, Hey, that they, people get stuck on the methodology sometimes and don't embrace the change or the culture. Cause I feel like we're always like anti-culture, you know, and then think not that we should embrace all of culture. So I'm saying, yeah. But but culture is more than just the pop culture things yeah. and those things. It's art. It's all those things. So, but but especially the technology piece, leveraging it for the gospel, which you're saying historically has happened, and that we've known that to be true. Like we're in an era where we're in a, a fast changing technological world, and kingdom minded people have to strike and leverage it for the gospel. Yeah, like it's just we have to do it. And I mean, if you think about it, the only real culture Jesus ever rejected was a religious culture, right? In his in his own community, mm-hmm. or or a sin culture. Like, yeah, those are the only really two things that he rejected. Outside of that, he was all for the advancement of technology. Where do you think he learned how to row a boat out into the water and speak against the hillside because the acoustics were better that way? <laughs> You know, I know he's God, but still, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. Or or the craftsmanship of the time of being a carpenter. Right. Like there was probably changing technology and carpentry in right. the first century. So. Absolutely. Yes. So we're not anti-culture. We should be pro-culture a lot of things. We should be known more for what we're for. Not against. And Jeff not Henderson. against Jeff Henderson. Thanks for the show. And also out. we should be creating culture. Like, yeah. and that's, that's one of the things I love about this generation. Like they are creators and producers. Yeah, I love it. Well, they're not, they're not copycats. I mean, yeah. some of them are, but there are some of them on the leading edge, creating and producing new things. And I think to your reverse mentoring conversation, we've got to get them at the table and let them teach us some things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, bro, man, hey, it's been a blast kind of having you on the show, and um, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Consecrate, hearing more about what God is doing, and you know, hopefully we'll all get to connect again at some point, either in Nashville or some other place or some other event, and mm-hmm. um, we'll get to meet each other. But we do have one more question, uh, and that's a question we ask all of our guests on the show, and even though you're 25, right, yeah. you've had some life experience, and so this counts, right? And I didn't mean that. You went that to any- college? I know you went to college. Yeah, yeah, he, he's from, yeah. he's Joe College, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, but uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's an old reference. Never mind. Uh, so what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Mm, that's a great question. Um, man, I think I learned some of the greatest leadership lessons uh, in college. One of those was what unhealthy leadership looked like, which in turn taught me what healthy leadership looks like. Um, Cause in college, I, so I, that was one of the busiest seasons of my life, especially my first two years of college. Like I was doing an internship at my church. I was working 35 to 40 hours a week. I was in school, you know, 15 to 18 credit hours. And then I was also starting a 
campus ministry. Mm. And I was, I was dead tired. Like I, my first, my first uh, year of uh, college, like people talk about their freshman 15, like I lost 15 pounds my first like year of college. Cause I didn't have, like, I didn't have time to eat like my lunch breaks. Like I was hosting prayer meetings and Bible studies. And like, I was prepping for those, like, and I, I was exhausted and just, I got to really, it was 2020 like that. Everything shut down and I had like, there's nothing I could do. Like, I'm like, I can't have a gathering, like aren't really set up like for some of the technology side of the stuff. And everything just shut down. And I had like six months where I couldn't do anything. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is what it feels like to, to be healthy and Mm -hmm. like emotionally healthy, um, physically healthy. Um, and cause I got like during 2020, it shut down. Like there was a season in that stretch. Like I just sat down in my room one day and just stared at the wall for like two hours. I'm like, I got, I got nothing. Like I'm just out Mm -hmm. spent. And it was this, having to completely cease and kind of come back in and realizing, okay, here's my baseline. If now I know what healthy feels like, like that's not normal. Like I don't need to be, if, if I'm feeling that burnout, you know, one of my mentors always says, he's like, Jesus burns out no one. And he's like, if, if you're feeling burnt out, you're probably doing things Jesus didn't ask you to do. And, um, and so learning that and kind of getting that baseline of this is what healthy feels like. If I don't feel like that, I'm probably doing something Jesus didn't ask me to do. That's a great, great response. Luke, what a joy to finally get connected with you. We have so many mutuals that have mentioned your name on and off air here. Um, so it's a joy to have you on the show. And as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, you've got to see the table. Thanks, man. It's great to meet you. Thanks for being on. Thanks, guys. So thanks so much for having me on. It was awesome. Loved it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.